I, I said it, oh, is this on? Yeah, I said it earlier, uh, I, I'm, I'm shocked. Well, the mask man mandate went into effect last night. What, what in the world are you doing? We're free! This is, in my estimation, the freest place in America. And, and, and this epicenter is going to spread across the country. We're going to win this thing. We all have to do our part. And I have to share with you, when we had the frontline doctors a couple weeks ago, um, and they came out, uh, we had to turn away 300 people. Uh, and, and I remember when we were building the church, we are like, we'll never fill this place. <laughs> we had to turn away 300 people. And so we did another event, and actually it was one of the uh, firefighters in our county. He came up to me and he said, uh, I really feel burdened to do something because they're going to force the vaccine on us and I'm not going to do it. And he said, and a, folk, a couple folks in my station and some others have gotten together. Can we do a special event for frontline, or excuse me, for first responders? And I said, absolutely. When do you want to do it? And he said, August 20th. It was like eight days. <laughs> I'm like, that's not a long runway, pal. Bless his heart, he, you know, he was ready to go. And he said, can we just do our best? I said, you bet. And the, and the place was full Friday night. It was wonderful to see uh, all the folks come out. So uh, we've, we've got a number of uh, first responders getting ready to, to resist. We're gonna do that across this county. All of us must do our part. This isn't, it's not going to get better and you can't sit on the wings and wait for someone else to do it. We open and, and pro provide this facility and educate you in an unprecedented season of censorship and propaganda where you can hear people and then I always ask for the people who disagree to speak first because the amazing thing about this location is we actually do practice the First Amendment. You have the freedom of speech. And so, Amen. And we were blessed this morning to have Dr. Keith Rose and Dr. Sean A. Anderson, and, and you have to go online if you weren't here because it was remarkable what they shared. You need to be equipped in this day and age. Uh, Dr. Sean A., well, Dr. Keith, so many insights, and he's been working diligently. A lot of you don't know this, but I'll tell you anyways, he's been working diligently, and I can't really reveal all that, but you know that he worked for uh, one of the government agencies, um, and he is diligently working to get uh, our people out of Afghanistan. And then Dr. Shawnee Anderson, uh, her illustration when she talked about an abusive father and, and it, it used it to allow us to see what the government's doing to us. And it was a, uh, a case study of one of, uh, is actually a hybrid of many of her patients, but the illustration she used was so profound. You need to listen to the program from this morning and you can find it online. Uh, before I have, uh, we have some, somebody here, I don't know who it is, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> Before we do that, everybody, uh, you all have a smartphone? Can you pull it out for me? Pull out your smartphone. And if you have a dumb phone, pull it out too. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I love what Charlie says. He says there's only uh, two folks that call people users. One is a drug dealer and the other is the tech industry. Uh, and, and then you go into, um, you go into the, uh, let me find it. Yeah, you go into the app, 
for a podcast, podcast app, and you just pull that up. You track me, and if you're having a problem with it, it's real simple. You just go to the podcast app. If you're having a problem, uh, where's my son Michael? Uh, it, 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 just find somebody who's like 13 and under. They'll help you. You go, into the, you go into the podcast app, and then you subscribe. And folks, listen, Charlie comes and does this. He travels the country. Um, it, it's, it's quite expensive. He never charges us anything. He is a, a complete servant of the Lord. He's a great blessing to us. And I said, Charlie, is there anything I can do for you? He says, yeah, Rob, what would really be helpful, because in this day and age of censorship, we need to get folks subscribed to this podcast. Go in there and subscribe to the Charlie Kirk Show, if you would. Right now. If you haven't done it, do it right now. I'm going to wait. Make sure the person next to you is doing it. If they don't, they have to leave and give up their seat because there's people waiting. It's the only price of admission. Sign up for the podcast. You guys got it all done? No? Hurry up. A couple more minutes. All right, well, you know what to do. Turn that off, for God's sakes. What are you doing? All right, here we go. Uh, when, when Charlie contacted me and he said he was available because the man, as I always say, is busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest, uh, he, he said he had a Saturday night available and it fell in line with what we were doing to try to activate our community to uh, fight the tyranny. And um, he is, at, at 27, he's my hero. He's an inspiration to me. He's a great blessing. The Lord serendipitously put us together, and, and I, I know God's involved in all of this because the wonderful people I've met on this journey of just contending for freedom, and these are folks that I, I trust with my life. Uh, they're, they're the kind of folks that if I'm in prison, I'm not gonna call them because they're gonna be in prison with me. <laughs> I, I love this man. I'm so proud of him. Please welcome my friend and yours as well, Charlie Kirk. You are back. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. It's great to be here on a Saturday evening. We are doing five church services in 24 hours here in Southern California. And, you know, I use the, um, I use the California example quite a lot. And I, use, I talk about this church quite often as I travel the country. I was just in Michigan. And everyone said, things are so terrible here in Michigan. I said, well, let me tell you about California. Um, it's not as bad as you think it could be. But then I say, listen, I've been coming to this church for a couple years now, and Rob is my pastor, and Mikey is, he is the Swiss Army knife of our operation. He's running around here somewhere, and Ryan helps us out in a lot of different ways, and the whole McCoy family um, has been amazing. And I've been hearing over the last couple years how California has been in kind of perpetual decline. And all of you in this church refuse to take that for an answer. And I hope you understand how much this church has impacted the geopolitical climate as now the eyes of the planet and the world are now on the California recall race. And you made that happen here in this church. It really, and I mention this for a reason. I, I mention this for a reason, because it would have been very easy for all of you to be too cynical to collect signatures, too cynical to think that someone like Newsom could be challenged. Now, this is one of the reasons why I think we're going to win, and we're going to talk about that tonight. 
So if you had to title tonight's speech, you can call it How We Win, three words. Because I'm sure all of you want to know how, but then I'm going to also tell you what it's going to cost you, because it's not a free admission, unfortunately, because a good rule for life, things that are beautiful and good and true, almost always come with a price. It's basically one of the rules of life. And so one of the reasons why I think we're going to win, I'm kind of jumping ahead in my remarks, is that the other side, because they do not have one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control, they're very prone to reckless error. Now, many of you remember that the signature recall effort against Newsom was trending okay until a certain meal happened. When Gavin Newsom, who is so self-righteous, he is so full of pride that he decided he was going to go eat with a $10,000 bottle of wine at a $2,500 a person meal, breaking his own mandate for lockdown without a mask in a restaurant with the biggest windows in the history of the Western Hemisphere, right? And as soon as that one picture was taken, it changed the course of the recall. It went from a recall that might have made it to they had more signatures than they knew what to do with. They couldn't toss out those signatures at whatever rate they could be. Now, however the recall ends up, and I personally am backing Larry Elder, and I think that he really is doing a great job. And however... And regardless of your own opinion, I think everyone here is going to vote, yes, recall Newsom. I think that's yes. Is that right? Is it? Sometimes they play word games where it's like, no, I don't want him. Like, okay, you know what I mean? So it's, yes, we want to recall him. Um, where all of us can agree on that question and the replacement you guys can figure out yourselves. Uh, I feel like I'm kind of a transplant through California. I spend more time here than in Arizona, which is where we technically live. And because there's, there's so much energy happening here. But I want to first encourage you, and then we get into kind of the deeply real stuff. I don't want to say depressing because it's just real. Um, is that there's a remnant here in California that is fighting for every single inch. And you are sending a message to the rest of the country that this nation is worth fighting for, that impossible fights can go all the way up to where all of a sudden that an untouchable Democrat governor is now fighting for his political life and having to spend nine figures of money to justify his failed governorship. Did you see that press conference that Gavin Newsom did where he just blew up on the reporter? He's worried, which goes to show the other reason why I think we're going to win is because they are the most paranoid winners that I've ever seen in the history of American politics is that You're angrier after you won. Like, that's kind of weird, right? Your whole life was about destroying the orange man because he was going to bring us to nuclear war or whatever, right? And then you get really angry after you win. Maybe there's something deeper that's wrong. Anyway, that's a different question that we could talk about. They all need salvation, truly, with Jesus Christ, and they need to commit their life to a higher purpose. They'll actually find life to be more enjoyable than just kind of these political power games they always find themselves in. And because of this, there's a lot of different ways we can incorporate this is that I do believe we are going to win, and then there's a big if. So I'm going to go through this speech in three ways. I have no notes here. Um, I've only given this speech kind of half before, but I'm actually writing a three-part essay on this, so all of you guys get kind of the preview of this. But this is the number one question I get. Charlie, what do I do? How do we win? I'm tired of just buying a pillow and watching Tucker Carlson, right? Like, (laughs) there's got to be more to life than that, right? And, And... by the way, uh, promo code Kirk for all of you that Giza, Giza Dream Sheets, this, the slippers are very good. Phenomenal slippers, okay? 
Write it down, promo code Kirk. Um, there is more you can do, and we're going to talk about that. Okay, so now let's, let's first talk about what is winning. This will be a three-part speech. The first part, what is winning? Well, someone will say it's taking back the House or taking back the Senate. That's not winning, okay? Those are momentary political victories that we should aim for, by the way. And just so all of you know, you're going to play a big role in that, in the House of Representatives fight. Because a lot of these House districts are going to be right down the street that are going to dictate the balance of power. So don't feel as if you're disempowered in that fight. But that's not what winning is, right? We've controlled the House of Representatives before, and what did we get? Corporate tax cuts, pandering to big tech, giving pharmaceutical companies whatever they want, keeping the borders wide open, giving China kind of the reckless advantage that they kind of purchased through our elites. Now, I still think we should try to get political power because at least we could play some form of defense and maybe have some sort of oversight. But just winning another federal election is not what winning looks like. So if we were here in a sport kind of like a sporting kind of preseason meeting, winning would be like, well, it's winning the Super Bowl. It's, it's raising the Lombardi Trophy. It's winning the World Series. It's winning the NBA Finals. And then you work backwards from there. Winning, very simply, for us, is restoring the American way of life. Is rest and I, I, I can say this generationally. I feel like I'm you know, a boomer now when I say this. I want my country back. I want the country I grew up in back. And, and I, there, there's... There's tremendous political power actually in nostalgia. And this is something that we don't talk about enough. Is that the left, because they're soulless and godless and ugly and degenerate and rather, you know, unsettled people, they always are trying to make us believe in the cult of progress. This comes from a German historicist view of the world that eventually things are going to get better. We know this is not true, right? We, we, we know that just because you have airplanes and TikTok and Twitter, life is not going to all of a sudden suddenly improve. It's, is the moral condition of a nation actually improving? Are people living lives where they can balance um, liberty with licentiousness, which is one of my favorite words that the founding fathers used time and time again? And if we're honest with ourselves, America post-1960s, we have failed in almost every single regard as far as moral, moral decline, as far as how we kind of gauge our own fiscal policy in this country. And so restoring the American way of life, there was a moment, though, that I think is, was better, obviously, than we're living through right now, which was the country I grew up in, like 2005, 2006, which is that if anyone dared talk about skin color, you'd be run out of the room. It's like, no, you're a bigot and you're a racist. We're not talking to you. It's where there was this accepted upon kind of American creed, which was very simple. You work hard and play by the rules, your life will get better, and your children's life will get better. It was generally accepted in the early 2000s in the country I grew up in that having children was an objective moral good, that families need to be preserved and protected, and that our history as a country and a nation is something we should be proud of. All of that has now been put in jeopardy. And so I want you to think about this deeply, that in the last 10 years, we have lived through a cultural revolution. And most people don't even realize it. This, this is what I call the silent revolution, is that you look back kind of 10 years later, and all of a sudden you see and you realize that after 10 years, you, you're living in a completely different country. And how did this happen? Well, we can go through the root causes we all know about. It was the gutless wonder leaders we sent to Washington, D.C., academia, the pharmaceutical companies, the corporate companies. But also, we never did a good enough job as Christians and conservatives articulating what success looked like. And instead, we were, we were, we were worried about things that mattered more than politics. Building businesses building churches, raising our kids, kind of developing our families. Those things are way more important than politics. But guess what? Because we took no concern about politics largely, it's now been moved up the hierarchy. 
You see, for the other side, they've never valued creating things out of nothing. So they don't really value family creation as an ultimate good. Building churches is not a necessity to them. Building a business is kind of a side project. Instead, they believe that taking over political organizations is the highest form of value. And they've been really good at it over the last 30 and 40 years. So when we ask ourselves, what does success look like? It's very simple. I want children to be more excited about our country than their parents. I want a nation where you don't have to lock your doors anymore. I want to restore the American creed and promise. And we should be very clear about that. And we also should be realistic and not delusional that it's going to take a great cost for us to get there. Is that it's not going to be one election or just turning on the switch. It's going to take the long march through the institutions. Some of you will never see that in your lifetime. That's a hard truth for you to realize. If you're over the age of 50, you'll probably not see that. You will not get your country back in your life. It's going to be my generation that when I'm 50, we might have a, a fighting chance to do that. It took them 60 years to destroy this. You think we're going to restore it in five years? Of course not. It's going to take long-form movements, rebuilding infrastructure, person-to-person -person persuasion. Now, we can play defense very well. We can stop the bleeding. We can win referendums and win elections and implement things that are meaningful. But I, I, I love you guys too much to lie to you. And people have been lying to you over the last 10 years. Give me political power and everything is going to get better. Instead, you have to buy into this. And it's not for the faint of heart, by the way, because we live in an instant gratification culture where you get things as soon as you want them, right? That's not this. This is now, and, and this is a provocative thing to say, America's gone through three foundings before. The first founding in July 4th, 1776. Some people say 1787, whatever, some, that, that, that period of time. I would say that July 4, 1776 was the true founding of the American Republic. The second founding was post-Civil War. Lincoln refounded the country. The third founding, which no one wants to talk about, was the 1960s. We changed everything. Through the Civil Rights Act regime, through the sexual revolution, through importing cheap labor, through changing our immigration policies, we refounded the country in the 1960s, and we're now living through the results 60 years later. We now have to refound the country. We have to go through a fourth, fourth founding. And I would say that the founding that we should try to re-embrace is the founding of Abraham Lincoln, is the founding that embraces these unique American values of, I care about your character, your soul, and your spirit. I don't care about your skin color. I care about people being able to rise regardless of how they look or where they were born. And this is, by the way, very popular when presented to the American people. And this is something that when most people actually hear this, this is what they want. So that's kind of, that is what success looks like. And also, I'm just going to kind of talk about brutal politics. I want the left to be on defense. That's what success looks like. I want us to be marching through city council races and referendum races. I want us to be so perpetually on offense, they don't even know how to launch a counteroffensive, which is, goes to my second kind of bracket of this speech of kind of how we win, is we need to do a threat assessment of what we're good at and what they're good at, what we're bad at, and what they're bad at. You know that if you sit down with most Republicans in the U.S. Senate, they would not be able to tell you a threat assessment against the left. Think about how unbelievably short-sighted that is. If I sat down with the coach of the Los Angeles Rams before they were going to play the Las Vegas Raiders, I guess that's what they're called now, he'd be able to tell you which one of their corners has trouble going deep, which linebackers have trouble tackling, going horizontally. They have a full scouting report of every single person, play, and head. And I'm here to tell you right now, the Republican Party has no scouting report for who we're up against. We are flying blind. So let's talk about it. What are we good at? What are we bad at? What are they good at? What are they bad at? Okay, let's start with their side. Okay, their side, what they're good at. They have a lot of money, and they're willing to spend it. They also 
have a willingness beyond anything that we have seen. They want the destruction of this country, and they're willing to do whatever is possible. They are enthusiastic about using political power. They're okay with ruining your life in pursuit of what they consider to be the right thing. You don't want to take the vaccine? We will fire you and humiliate you. You don't want to fly the black flag? We will humiliate you and mock you. They are willing to use the apparatus of power to crush you. Now, you might say, well, Charlie, that's a negative. No, that's a positive for their side, because that used to be an un-American value. It used to be an un-American value to use the apparatus of political power to go after your enemies. That's what Nixon resigned for. Nixon resigned because the accusation was he used the office of the White House and the presidency to go after people he didn't like. What else are they good at? Well, they're very good at taking over cultural institutions, and they're incredibly good at moral blackmail, the best. They are an institutional moral blackmail industry. Hollywood, sports, basketball, schools, they will get to the highest levels of institutions and say, if you dare question us, we will call you a bigot publicly and cancel you. They're also very good at hanging together, aren't they? They refuse to cancel their own. Hunter Biden is allowed to sell $500,000 pieces of art that look like vomit on the best possible day. And I got to give the left credit. This is another thing they're good at, is that they're, they're very good at, at um, knowing how to game the system, right? So I, I get to see the meeting right now. You know, Joe Biden and Ron Klain, they're like, okay, how do we launder money legally to our family? And they're like, well, you know, real estate has like some objective value. We tried that with the Chinese and the hedge fund, but like Hunter, you know, started to do co- cocaine. And like someone's like, well, like, okay, so Hunter's a degenerate. He impregnates women all over the world. He's a drug user. You know, he lies, he steals, he cheats. Like, what kind of archetype? Oh, he's an artist, of course. Like, that makes sense. Uh, you know, that's, that, that's what they do, right? Um, it's kind of perfect. Part, you know, like, if you're an artist out there, I don't mean to offend you. Like, stop taking yourself so seriously, okay? So it's a general truth that if you're in the artistic community, you're into psychedelics. Like, that's part of what the whole thing is. Um, and so... They're like, okay, how do, I, how do we get money from Saudi King A to the Biden family? Like, well, let's go pick the one industry where value is completely subjective. Art, right? I mean, they have like signed urinal, urinals being you know, sold for $6 million at this. No, it's true. Like literally a signed urinal. And they're like, okay, well, you know, let's have Hunter Biden just like go paint a couple lines and go sell them for half a million bucks. And that'll hold up in court. And that's what they did. And so the Biden family now has at least a million dollars a month coming in of Hunter Biden's art. Pretty genius. You got to think about it, right? And who, who, what Republican attorney general would dare indict that? Well, if Donald Trump Jr. did that, he would be indicted that afternoon. If he, if he even thought about doing it, it's a conspiracy to defraud the art community. How dare he go after the great postmodern, you know, art community? Okay. So that they are, I'll finish with kind of their positives. This is not an exhaust, exhaustive list, but I will say this is that at the current state of affairs, their other positive is that um, they, they value their form of victory more so than the continuity of the country. And again, that might be something that you consider a negative, and it could be considered a vulnerability. But generally, um, that means that they are willing to sacrifice in great numbers and reputationally for this. Okay, so what are the, down, what are the vulnerabilities, right? So those are the strong spots. And what are the weak spots of the people we're up against? Well, I kind of foreshadowed it. Number one, they're incredibly paranoid, right? Number two, they're very likely to fight amongst themselves. You're already seeing this. In fact, I spoke here. Remember, Rob? I spoke here back in January, and I predicted that they will eat their own. Cuomo is gone, and Newsom's about to be gone. Prediction made, prediction fulfilled. They eat their own. 
And that's only starting. They, they do not have self-control. And just a very obvious thing about one of their weak spots is that since they have no self-control, they embrace the stupidest ideas ever, and then they repeat them on television and triple down on them. And so I'm going to kind of take a little side note here and kind of talk about the way that all of you need to explain Afghanistan to all of your friends, okay? This, is, this has very little to do with the military and everything to do about what you're fighting every single day. So we've done a lot of podcasts on this. We just talked to Keith Rose about this, which is this, which is critical race theory is a seemingly kind of like out, like distant academic theory, right? It's like, okay, you know, it's probably going to create a bunch of racists, but like, you know, we'll fight a little hard on this. This is the best argument against critical race theory I've ever seen. You see, when you value diversity over competency, you get that press conference that we saw at the Pentagon of Dumb and Dumber, of Mark Milley and Lloyd Austin, who are staring like deers in headlights, who are saying the following, we don't know how many Americans are in Afghanistan, we do not have the ability to get them out, we are caught flat-footed and we didn't see the Taliban coming. Now, Lloyd Austin when he was chosen as the Department of Defense Secretary, the AP News, Associated Press News, said that Lloyd Austin, first ever black Department of Defense Secretary, for him, racism is a personal fight and struggle. And so I remember reading this article, I covered it, I said, okay, has he ever won a war? Like, is this guy smart? Like, what's his IQ? You know, is he willing to do what's necessary to not leave Americans behind? He's a diversity pick, of course. Like first, I don't care if he's the first black guy to do it. Okay, if he's competent and black, then congratulations. Then he, like, like Clarence Thomas, like we picked him because he was competent, not because he was black. But it's so obvious Lloyd Austin is not ready for this. Then you have Mark Milley next to him. He's the dumber and the dumb, right? Who, and again, I, this is a total side note. I'm going to get totally canceled for this, okay? It's, actually, I'm not. I'm, enough with the fat generals, okay? Like, what is this all about, okay? No, seriously. We're here to win wars, okay? It's not old country buffet. It's unbelievable. No, no, seriously. And this is, it's a real, and this goes to, a, I mean, it's an embarrassment. And you have the side angle of these guys, and you're like, we're supposed to take these guys seriously? Anyway. So, Back to the non-controversial speech of tonight. Um, you have Mark Milley, who's the only type of white male that this regime will accept, who's self-hating, clever, and obedient, and willing to climb the ladder to do what is necessary, right? Where he testifies in front of Congress in June while the Taliban was planning a takeover of Kabul. He says that we need our military members to learn about white rage, read Robin DiAngelo's White Fragility, and Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. That's the head of your military. So you have that press conference where they don't know how many Americans there are. They saw the Taliban take over in 11 days. You were humiliated and I was humiliated. And we are still being humiliated. And people are asking the question, why? How did this happen? The answer is very simple. This is the coming attractions trailer of critical race theory for your country. This is the 30-second preview of a five-hour slaughter film of what's about to happen in every single Department. I'll give you critical race theory when we pick airline pilots, which is how the military is doing that now. It's not on competency. It's not on how good of a pilot you are. It's on skin color. Now, I'm sure you, like me, couldn't care less about what the color of the skin of somebody is when they fly the plane. They're doing that now for doctors. We need more black doctors. No, actually, we need competent doctors. We need people that know what they're doing. 
And so it's all fun and games. It's all like bumper sticker type activism with BLM kind of yard signs until all of a sudden you see in vivid terms a city fall in 11 days and 30,000 Americans are held hostage. Then all of a sudden it's really something that I was like, maybe we shouldn't teach our children this. And that's the proper way to explain what's happened in the last couple of days. So, we're the, so the Biden regime, they're paralyzed. They don't know what to do. You know why? Because they didn't pick anyone competent to be around their White House. It's because they don't have anyone that actually knows what to do under pressure. There's a great quote by Plato. I prefer Aristotle, but Plato was great too. Where he said, power shows the man. You want to find out who a person is? Give them a bunch of power, resources, funding, and put them in pressure-filled situations. You'll find out who that person is really quickly. And you see in Lloyd Austin and Mark Milley, they did not earn those spots. No, they were willing, they were willing and able to be obedient placeholders for a very destructive agenda in the United States military. The military, everybody, the one place that should be the most competent institution. But then all of a sudden, what happened back in February? We were told that men who think they are women need to be in the United States military. They're, they were looking at the military as a social engineering project. And all of these trends have now played into this. So I kind of go back to what their weakness is. This is part of their weakness. Is the weakness that they have is their ideas are so awful and terrible, they also don't prudently implement them, right? So I'll give you another example. I'm writing a separate article about this, where I think the day that we won the next election and where the conservative movement got permanently invigorated against the corporate class was not January 6th, it was January 9th. Does anyone know what happened on January 9th? President Trump got banned from every social media site at one moment. So I, 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 I'm, I, I, I've done a lot of thinking about this, and I believe that moment was all of a sudden all of you no longer needed convincing that a small collection of companies were rigged against you to try to destroy the country. That's a big deal. Because we used to have to persuade you about that. Free markets, low taxes, entrepreneurs, as if we need to like defend Mark Zuckerberg's right to destroy our lives, right? And all of a sudden it's like, no, they banned a sitting president from social media channels. And you're trying to tell me that these companies want our best interest? A sitting president while he was president. So what did that do? What they did is they failed the boiling frog experiment. So if you're trying to boil a frog, you do it incrementally before it realizes that it's being boiled to death. So they went straight to 10 out of 10. Frog's like, it's really hot, I'm going to jump out. And that's exactly what they did to all of us. This is one of their weak spots, is they have no prudence. They have no ability on how to, they, they, they've gotten very, because they have no patience, which is a fruit of the spirit, and they don't have that, is that they do not know how to microdose their radicalism anymore. They used to be able to do this. They were really good at microdosing radicalism in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Best example of this was the gay marriage thing. They microdosed that, right? It was like, it's all about equality. It's all about love. It was really hard to fight back against that, wasn't it? Because it felt as if they were always taking the moral high ground. And they were willing to be patient. And they were willing to win in one place, San Francisco. And then Los Angeles. And then California. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's the law of the land by one stroke of the pen by a Supreme Court justice. They have lost that. They might say, Charlie, why have they lost that? Well, it's because Trump kind of broke them, quite honestly. Is that... Trump has made them believe they are running out of time and they have to implement everything right now regardless of how insane it sounds. And that's one of the longest lasting great legacies of President Trump, quite honestly, is that he has revealed these people for who they truly are. And so I can go into this further, but if we're talking about a threat assessment report, there are positives, there are negatives. If you guys have questions about that, we can talk about it. Okay, let's talk about our side, which is kind of what we can 
you know, do. Let's talk, talk about our negatives first, then I'll get to our positives, because the negatives far outweigh us. Um, we're not as willing as they are. The most important word that we don't like to talk about is willingness. Now, this is changing. I want to encourage all of you. This is changing. But how many people do you know that have significant net worth are willing to commit 95% of their resources right now to change or save the country? Anyone? Probably no one. I know of no one. George Soros did that without blinking an eye. George Soros dedicated $19 billion. As my wonderful wife enters, everyone give her a round of applause. Where George Soros dedicated $19 billion of his $21 billion to the Open Society Foundation that we have to fight every single year. Republican donors gave a lot to the 2020 election. Mark Zuckerberg gave $400 million that we know of. They're willing to use their companies to politicize things. Now, I'm not saying that we all have to give all of our money away, but there is a question of where's the willingness on our side? It's almost as if the willingness to take the hill over, overturns the willingness to keep the hill. Why is that? Because all of you need to break out of this. Immediately, the country you grew up in is dead. It's gone. It's not coming back anytime soon. You're going to have to recreate it and refound it and be optimistic and build it back up from the bottom. And it can be done. Because all of you deep down think that, well, you know, I just have to go on one more vacation. When I come back, it's going to get better. Or I don't want to upset my stock portfolio, right? Because that's the most important thing. Or my social status. I'm here to tell you right now, and you know, this audience, you guys will agree with me. Some audience, you know, someone heckled me the other day. They're like, no, you know, you're, you're, this, is, this is extreme. Like, the other side isn't as bad as you think. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> Maybe you're on that side. Like, what side are you talking about, right? And so... That's actually very comforting. I know it sounds like it isn't, right? It's, it's comforting because for a lot of you that think that we're going to all of a sudden return to how things were, not going to happen anytime soon. So the doctrine that we must embrace then is that we must get back to this kind of World War II mentality. I'm not saying that we're in a physical combatant war, okay? Please, the media is so dishonest. That's not what I'm saying. We're in, we're in a much different type of a struggle. We're in World War II. It was like, yeah, we're going to do whatever's necessary. National debt to 144% of GDP, okay. Turning every factory into a place to go make munitions, that's fine. Got to go draft another 3 million people to go storm the beach, okay. It was whatever the question was, the answer was yes. The will was the number one driver of why we won World War II. We had capacity, but all of a sudden the will got, got raised up. Whatever it takes. Drafting entire villages out of rural Iowa, got to go take Berlin. It's what we got to do. Now, I'm not, even, I'm not asking you to do anything even close to that. What I am asking, though, is why is it, it seems that the 75 million people that voted for Trump, that all of a sudden so many seem to just kind of disappear until the next election, right? And so the, 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 the victory will come down to who is willing, and that's how I'll end the speech. The other thing that we're not so good at and um, I'll kind of just be very honest, is the Republican Party uh, is not an opposition party. We have a one-party rule in Washington, D.C., with a couple exceptions. We are ruled by Democrats and Republicans that lie to you every single day and expand government and keep borders wide open and pander to corporate oligarchy. We need to retake the Republican Party and make it a legitimate pro-American party, pro-freedom party, and pro-liberty party. And I will prove it to you. So exhibit A as to how this works is Florida. 
Ron DeSantis, who's phenomenal, has given all of us a blueprint on how to win. I know I'm way over time, but I'm just going to, okay, yeah. So a blueprint on how to win. Ron DeSantis has banned critical race theory. He has signed an anti-rioting bill. He has refused to close down schools, no mask mandates, no vaccine mandates, and 0% income tax corporately, 0%. And anytime the media comes after him, he punches back twice as hard. And so Ron DeSantis has showed us that there can be a new era of Republican leadership, that there can be a new type of Republican. And guess what? Florida is not a comfortably Republican state. At least it never used to be. And you know what's amazing? With every new measure he puts in, Republican, Florida becomes more Republican. Here's, here's the amazing thing, is that people actually want leadership, Democrats included. Is that when Ron DeSantis implements something, and two weeks later, life is actually really nice in Florida, they're like, I like this guy. <laughs> I know that's a weird thing for Republicans to hear, is that people actually can be led to follow Republican politics. Not everything is all of a sudden set in stone. And Ron DeSantis has the missing ingredient, which is courage. But I just want to say, Ron DeSantis is in the vast minority of Republican leaders across the country. Most Republican governors right now are instituting mask mandates, vaccine mandates, they're shutting down businesses again, and they're pandering to the pharmaceutical lobby, and they're doing press, joint press conferences with tech companies moving to their states, and they're saying the most important thing they need to do is go welcome more refugees from Afghanistan. I can name three governors that are doing that right now. And so that starts with all of us. We have to retake the Republican Party and change the Republican Party. And that's one of our negatives. Okay, I could go through the negatives more, but let's go to our positives, because that's, that's a good thing, right? Is this, which is, we have the greatest untapped potential of any political movement in the history of human beings. I have never seen a movement that does so little, that can do so much, and still has a chance to save the country. It's rather remarkable. <laughs> that we have so much more power than we realize. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you right now. We could, we could end Coca-Cola by the next shareholders meeting. We'd have decided we don't want to do that. Why haven't we done that? Now, some of you might have individually done that, right? And we, we're calling to do it. What I'm saying is that we have so much consumer power. We have so much sway over our local communities. If you own a business, you are in power. You have a lot of power in that way. And you look at the 75 million people that we know that voted for Donald Trump. There's a lot of untapped potential there. We're starting to see this a little bit in the school board uprising, a little bit, where now parents are flooding school boards all across the country organically, and they are starting to say, no more. And so another positive we have, which is the most obvious positive we have, is that we happen to have truth. Here's a good rule for life. Be on the side that's talking about things that are true. Generally a good rule for life, right? And they don't, where we are actually able to talk about things that are objectively beautiful, good, and true. That we could talk about things that benefit people's lives, that actually fit the idea of natural rights self-government. This is a big deal, is that when this collision happens, which it does, is that we actually get to then communicate and persuade to people that are unconvinced things that are eternal and that are true. And so I kind of summarize all that together in the second part of this talk, which is a realization as we get to the last part of this, which is we are not in a conversation with the other side right now. This is a hard thing for Christians especially to admit and to want to internalize. This is not a coffee shop debate with your liberal friend. 
They mean business, and they're willing to use the political power to destroy your life. So now it goes to the third part. What do we do about it? Well, then it comes down to willingness. And Rob's talked about this, is that every single one of you are going to have to sacrifice something meaningful in the coming 12 months if we're serious about losing the country. It could be reputational. It could be income. It could be friends. It could be something. And someone's like, well, Charlie, I, I, I don't know what I have to sacrifice. I'm like, get in the arena. You'll figure out really quick. Really quick. In California, that could be tough, right? Let me give you one example, okay? Go through your credit card statements over the last two years. Go to secondvote.com, 2ndvote.com, where they rate every single company in the country uh, based on their wokeism score. Circle every company that you spend money with voluntarily that represents the Democrat Party and stop spending money with them. If every single person did that in this church, that's millions of dollars of purchasing power right now. That's it. That's, that's, the, that's the simplest example, right? Not to mention, and you said, what's the website? It's 2ndvote.com. You can use promo code CHARLIE, and it's, based, it's like 25 bucks a year. It's nothing. Um, and they do a really good job. It rates every company in the country, by the way, just so you guys know, from Coca-Cola to Delta to Home Depot to Lowe's, um, based on their contributions and their, their CEOs. And then the other part is this, which is supporting people that are courageous like Rob, Keep on attending church and supporting churches like this one and getting behind movements like this. But then it's also asking the Lord to give you guidance of where you need to be a leader. And when that moment comes and you get that email from your boss, get vaccinated by next Friday or else you're going to lose your job, your number's getting called at that moment. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of brave people here there's more cowardly people than brave people in America. I get more emails from people that say, Charlie, I reluctantly took it because I didn't want to lose my job. And I, I'm not there to tell them that they made the wrong decision. I'm saying they made a cowardly decision. Some, I mean, sometimes the cowardly decision can be the right decision for your family, right? Who am I to say that I want to take income away from your children, right? That's how, how dare I would say something like that, right? But relenting and bending the knee, I, I mean, that's their whole game plan, right? That's the whole ballgame. And so then here comes the second part, which I think the other thing that we can do is we need to build a much better support system. This church has done a great job. And we did this in Dream City, at Dream City Church when we did our, um, our event where two young ladies came up. They said, I'm going to lose my job next Friday because I'm a nurse, and they're forced me to get vaccinated. They both had job offers at clinics that didn't require mandatory vaccines within 48 hours. Great support system right there, right? And so... If all of a sudden we kind of build this community network that becomes immune to cancellation, all of a sudden their penalties are going to mean a lot less. And I will kind of segue back for a second. Why does, the, the only reason this mandatory vaccine thing is happening is because the Republican leaders that you send to Washington, D.C. have betrayed you, just so you know. Is that, I, I've seen this firsthand, is that Republicans, that even some that we... only The one that's been amazing is Rand Paul. I've got to give him credit. He has been really great. He's been phenomenal. Is that... They're taking money from AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, and Moderna. And they're the ones that are pushing quietly for these companies to do this. They're okay with it. They're like, yeah, whatever, we're not going to die on this hill. Meanwhile, military mem service members are being forced to get vaccinated, and nurses are being forced to get vaccinated. You know where the vaccine isn't required? In the Biden White House. Do you know that it's optional to take the vaccine if you work in the White House press secretary office, but not optional if you're a service member? 
And certain Western militaries, I'm still trying to confirm which one it is, they're putting red bands on unvaccinated service members now. Not American yet, but I think it's either Australia or Britain or one of them. They're putting red bands. Australia is now under martial law, you know, just so you guys know. If we were kind of had a media in our country, they'd be covering that. So it's going to cost everyone something. And then here's the final part of that, and I'll tie all of this together with an example, and then we'll take some questions, which is, um, which is now you have to embrace the life as a dissident. You guys have all heard from Joseph Bondarenko, who was a dissident. We don't like thinking this way, right? Because we, quite honestly, conservatives have lived in delusion the last 10 years. We've, we've continued to convince ourselves there's more of us than them. Yeah, there are, but we control basically nothing now, right? So now all of a sudden you have to think of yourself as a Soviet dissident. Kind of like Lech Walesa. How was he able to bring everything down? And that's a hard realization because that's a crushing blow to the ego of a generation that thought that they were the caretakers of this nation. That we're not in control anymore. Now that can change, and it should change, and it will change if we commit ourselves to it. And the sooner you realize that you are a dissident, you have to win here and win here and launch a counteroffensive, the sooner you can actually have real success. Because the, one of the narratives that we are told is, well, Charlie, we're just one election away from turning all this around. We know that's not true. They control the FBI, the CIA, the intel agencies who spied on Tucker Carlson illegally, the IRS that targets their political opponents and strips the nonprofit status of churches they don't like. They control Google that can kick people off immediately if they say things they don't like. They control every major university. They control the NIH, the CDC, the FDA, and just so you know, the vaccine that has a 42% efficacy rate, Pfizer, in July, is going to get FDA approval probably on Monday morning, just so you know. It will get FDA approval. They control the FDA. And so all of a sudden you say, well, there are more of us, but we just don't control anything. You know what that sounds like? The Soviet Union. It sounds all of a sudden that the sooner you realize the limited freedoms we have have to be used and the lifetime you have left to actually preserve liberty, that's actually the mentality we have to get into, right? And the delusion conservatism is telling you, like, no, 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 it's all going to be fine. Like, just give us this power. No, we have to go rebuild these new institutions, and it is going to be a long march. So I'm going to tell you about a story from 1975. Who is alive in 1975? Anyone? All right. So it's one of my favorite stories. So, and it shows that we can win. You all want to know how to win. Here's how we win, right? I'll give you an example. Gerald Ford, the only president never to be elected to become president, he was House Majority Leader, House Minority Leader, and Spear Agnew resigned, and he got but his vice president, Richard Nixon, resigned, and he, got become, he became president. He's like, you know what? I understand that there's inflation. The country's divided over Vietnam. Race riots, civil rights era type hangover. You know what my big plan is going to be? I'm going to unite with the international community to get America on the metric system. Anyone remember this? Raised billions of dollars from Congress, went on a whistle-stop tour across the country, and his big, ambitious dream was to try to get us on the same sort of measurement of the rest of the country. They had committees and implementation plans. If you think mask mandates were bad, imagine all of a sudden if you used the traditional system that we embraced, you'd be fined and penalized, and you could potentially lose your job. But Gerald Ford was a little bit of a naive politician. He didn't realize that in the heartland of the country and in places like this, people were pretty upset with all of a sudden having to get rid of their arbitrary foot that they were told that they had to use. They didn't want this kind of European invasion into their country. And all of a sudden what started to happen as like the committee for the globalization of the metric system implementation, which is like a real committee, right? Billions of dollars, they started to put up speed limits that were in the metric system. They'd come out the next day, they were gone. 
they disappeared, right? They'd have these new orders for businesses that did public-private partnerships to all of a sudden do things in the metric system. So it's kind of like a mask mandate, and they'd come back the next week, and it'd be all still in the same system we have inches and feet and yards, not in you know, millimeters, centimeters, and meters. And Gerald Ford couldn't believe what was happening. He's like, why won't Americans accept this sort of kind of immersion into the international community? And if any of you have been to London, they're on the metric system now. They're on the metric system because they said, okay, and they implemented it, and no one fought back. And then after two years, Gerald Ford famously issued a press release. He said, look, Americans, through mass noncompliance and civil disobedience, they don't want the metric system, and we're done pushing it. I'm telling you that if enough of us rise against this kind of power, they will give up. And I know it's like a silly example, but it's a real example. It was stupid. It was dumb. It was imp- but it was, it was a shot against them that all of a sudden deflated their confidence that, that independent people rising up against these sort of power structures can make a difference. So the question is, how do we win, right? How do we win and what do I do? Well, look around. You're, you are now an American dissident. You are a minority in your own country. Not as that there's not as many people as you do, but every institution that you grew up loving and admiring has been taken over by them. We have to go take them back, build new ones, support the good companies, and stop supporting the bad ones. And as I said, the positive on our side, we have so much more power than we realize. And the moment that we start to use it and wield it, then we can start to take this country back. Okay, let's do some questions. Thank you, guys. That was great, Charlie. Want me to sit down? Yeah. Okay. Wasn't that awesome? So uh, if you have a question, you can text it, and that way uh, we don't have to listen to your lengthy introduction and all the things that you want (laughs) to talk about. We've kind of figured out the system at this point. Um, and, and before we do the questions, I just want to say that, that the illustration you had of World War II and the will, um, and God's not looking for ability, but availability. And, and if any of you have ever gone to see the Queen Mary, I, I don't think it's that way now, but it's in repose in Long Beach Harbor. And they have it equipped on one side as a troop transport ship, which it was in World War II, and on the other side they have it equipped as a luxury liner you know, uh, seven around a table, resplendent silverware, uh, an aluminum tray and one spoon and bunks that go to the ceiling. That's the contrast. What takes a luxury liner from this resplendent beauty to this military transport? It's, It's one thing, it's called war. And until we awaken and realize that we have to equip our resources for combat, um, and, and meaning ideologically, when you commented that nobody's willing to sacrifice along the lines well, of... Well, some people are, and yeah. this church is full of people that are. But this is a... Just, you guys know, you're in the minority of the minority of the country where more people than not are doing things they don't want to do to try to keep a life of luxury and convenience yeah. uninterrupted. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it, I would just say, in this county, we're, we're in, the, we're in a, a, a fight with a supervisor who deliberately attacked our First Amendment freedoms. We're, we're pushing for a recall. If you haven't participated in that, why? And that's the question. We have a school board that's implementing critical race theory at every level. If you haven't engaged in that, why? We're, we're watching as this state has the opportunity for the citizens to push back. And then 
every one of you should be supporting, all of us should be supporting our first responders. They are in a fight for their lives. This used to be the darling of the Democrat Party, the, the police and fire. They're our heroes, but they were the poster child for the Democratic Party. Every Democrat that would run for office would have police and fire endorsement. And now they're coming around and they're saying, we need your help. And we need to do this. So all of us have to weigh in and show the rest of the country how to do it. We're the example. No one else is coming. And I'm proud of each and every one of you and so blessed by y'all. All right, let's take questions. And I'm proud to call this my church, my pastor amongst all of you. And I want to encourage you even further. Mikey and I were just, we were in Michigan, that's right, we were in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And three people came up to us, they said, I wish that I had a church like God speak in Michigan. And you would be amazed at because of all this tyranny, how many good churches have popped up here in Southern California? And I don't, I, I don't know if you guys re- appreciate that. In Knoxville, Tennessee last night, someone just moved to there and they said, look, all these pastors are saying that we have to abide by Romans 13 here and it's just like, there's no spirit. That's Knoxville, Tennessee, everybody, right? And so you might think you got it bad, but look around. You have a pastor and a community and a church that is standing for righteousness. That's something to be thankful for. Thank you. I mean it. I, I want to recognize Greg. Yeah. Greg Denham, you want to have him? Oh, we got a question here. Uh, I'll read the first question, but a pastor that stood with us, and I've known him for years, and he drove all the way up from San Diego. He's a pastor of Rise Church, fearless. Pastor Greg Denham, yeah, stand Greg, up. Greg, stand up. Bless you, man. All right, first question, uh, Charlie, how do we fight weekly COVID tests after getting religious exemption for the vaccine? We've done this all weekend, but I- Yeah, I'm gonna swim in my lane. Tactically, I don't really know. Um, Pray the Lord helps you find a job with an employer that is rational and reasonable. Somebody asked me the other day, he said, Charlie, are you gonna require the vaccine at Turning Point USA? It's like, it's like a reporter. I said, look, you, you don't work for me. But um, if you did, you'd be fired for asking such a ridiculous question. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't, maybe you can help with that. How do you fight it? I mean, I don't know. That's going to be their new kind of social check system, right? Here's what I can't understand. If I, again, this is, we're, we're, when you remove absolute truth, you're ruled by the insane and the wicked. Remember that? That's a good rule for life. As soon as you remove Christ as the center of your life, which is what used to be the center of American society pre-1960s. Again, I keep on going back to the 1960s when everything changed. It really did. It's when we lost our footing post-war, we had such an amazing victory, and we just kind of fell. And because of that, anyway, removing absolute truth, how on earth, if you have an antibody test that shows you already had COVID, is that not satisfy? I had this conversation with a doctor, and he's like, oh, no, no, that only holds you over for eight months. It's like, what, what kind of crazy, like, witch doctor science are you doing? I mean, every independent study shows that's not the case. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you guys have gone through that in great length. I don't mean to you know, filibuster on that. So we, we had a, a number of folks, and, and we've covered this, so you can look at a previous uh, uh, broadcast. But um, a number of folks are saying, don't do the religious exemption, because you're, you're, you're giving them authority to violate what is already a First Amendment right. They, you don't need a religious exemption. Just say, I'm not taking the test. They're going to fire you but let them fire you. Stand. And, and, and weekly testing, I have the antibodies. And, and, and the idea, does the vaccine 
Are they going to be required? Just push. Keep pushing. That's our job. That probably didn't make you happy, but there you go. All right. Uh, what are the best reasons to keep having kids in this world? We hear, I don't want to bring them into this mess. Yeah, I mean, I hear that. Um, not persuaded by that, to be honest. I mean, the Bible's very clear about being fruitful and multiplying, you know, regardless of how awful things are around you. Um, yeah, I also think that it's, if you look at the question, it's like, I don't want to bring kids into this world. That was the question, right? Who cares what you think? What does God want? Your, your, your own opinion is completely irrelevant in the matter. He wants you to keep on having children and turn them into Christians so that maybe that they can actually see the fruit of the fight that you're engaged in right now. Maybe things can get better. I mean, what kind of... It's, it's such a fatalistic attitude. I, I, I got in a debate. They're like, Charlie, things are so bad. I don't want to enter children in this world. They said, well, you know, I wouldn't put you as an optimist. That's for sure. What if I told you that, you know, what success looks like? New York Times heading, 2050. Surprising conservative Christian revival in America, led by homeschooling community and dissident churches traced back to coronavirus. I want that headline, don't you? And that's the long-term thinking. 30 years from now, I want the New York Times to be stunned that all of you kept on having children edu educating them, that you stood strong, that all of a sudden that tyranny failed just like the stupid metric system did, that all of a sudden that all the mask mandates fell apart. I want the historians that write that book they're like, you know, mass mandates and vaccine mandates kind of fell flat after the central planners everything they could because of mass civil disobedience and questioning from a network that kept on pushing truth despite social media censorship and social pressure. I want that headline, and that's what we're going to get. You'll like this one. Uh, in your Bibles, every great leader, Moses, they were children that were born in the most miserable seasons, adversity. Amen. The Hebrew midwives were trying to protect Pharaoh, uh, from Pharaoh from killing all the children. Moses was put in a reed basket. You want to bring a child into slavery? He changed the world. Children born in adversity make the greatest leaders. And the way that they make the greatest leaders is their parents set the example because they're the ones contending against tyranny. So have them and set the example for them and the world will change. The website. So uh, what's the uh, website? The website mentioned. So I'm going to reiterate the shameless plug. If you guys could subscribe to the podcast, it really does help us out. It's how we are able to boost our numbers against all the clampdown. Um, it, it makes a huge difference. It, it really does. Huge. So thank you. The, the website is the, uh, 2ndvote.com. That's second vote, but it's not spelled out second. It's 2ndvote.com. And promo code, I think the promo code is Charlie. Mikey's around. Uh, Ryan, what is the promo code? Can you ask Connor? Or we'll find out. We'll get it for yeah. you. Um, it's, it's literally two bucks a month to help pay their overhead. They research every company in the country that is publicly traded and some private companies. And so you might be like, man, what, what is De like Denny's or IHOP? Which one is more conservative, right? REI or Dick's Sporting Goods. Don't go to Dick's Sporting Goods, by the way. And so I believe for $2 a month, which is a rounding error for a lot of your expenses, it's worth being able to have a tool to know that the tens of thousands of dollars you're spending on other things are in alignment with the kingdom, first and foremost, and then with the country. Because then you'll see, oh, wow, um, McDonald's gives money to Planned Parenthood. Or, so it's secondvote.com, 2ND. Can we get the promo code? Yeah, you're asking for it. Yep. It saves you money. That's the only reason. It cuts it in half. 
Um, I've used this a lot for Turning Point USA purchases, so they have a really good grading score. Again, we've searched far and wide for this service, right? And we found that they were the best because they have full-time staffers and researchers that do nothing but rating their contributions and their statements. So Delta Airlines gets a really low uh, ranking from them, whereas uh, American is a little bit better, but not a lot. And it was really helpful for us at Turning Point USA because we're doing massive volume of purchases for campus events. It's like, okay, you're not doing these 15 companies. It is now not allowed. And for those of you that run big companies, I guarantee you there's tens of thousands of dollars a month you're spending on woke companies that could be on others. Now, I do want to say this about the company thing. Sometimes you're left with no choices, okay? If, if you're flying to New York City, you're going to have to fly in a woke airline, okay? I'm sorry. That's the, but when it comes to soft drinks, there's a lot of choices, a lot, and ever so growing. When it comes to coffee, there's a lot of choices, right? And those are the ones that actually have the tightest margins, believe it or not and especially Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola's margins are super thin. So anyway, I'm really big into the corporate warfare thing of kind of how we can push back and kind of show these companies our combined power. It's a passion project of mine. Sorry, Rob. I, 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 promo code Charlie, is that right, Right. Yeah, promo code Charlie. We're guessing that. Is it, it Mikey confirmed it? It is promo code Charlie. It saves yeah. you guys money. Uh, it's literally $2 a month for a year. Um, and people say, Charlie, why isn't it free? Well, they have 15 full-time people. They don't have advertisers on their website. And you guys get, for $2 a month, I think something that could really bless you. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to share with all of you, uh, we're making a difference. My wife and I were flying back. I won't say from where to where. I won't say what airline. Uh, the attendant on that flight said, you, you don't need to wear a mask. You're good with us. The most precious attendant you could ever met. Prayed with my wife. Uh, this person is on fire. They're making a difference in the company they work for. And I'm not going to have them stand because I don't want the video to pick them up and then get them canceled. But they're here tonight. And God bless you. And, and let, let me say something. I, um, I, I have a soft spot for flight attendants. That is the hardest job. Yeah. And they are, they are nothing but insulted and thrown around. And I have so much respect for flight attendants. And I will say, they're a radical bunch of right-wingers, I'll tell you, those yeah, flight attendants. They're on fire. I mean, whoa! And I'll tell you why. I have a whole theory on this, is that their whole life is about order in the face of chaos, right? Boarding on time, following protocol, and they see societal chaos, and they know how things are supposed to work, so they naturally become super conservative, right? They're like, if this door is not closed, people are going to die. If you don't have your seatbelt on, this is going to happen. And so then they see these kind of slovenly, you know, unwashed people coming on the airplane. If you guys have flown recently, you know what I'm talking about. And they're like, this is not okay. And I could always tell if we have a conservative flight attendant based on how they read the mask mandate guidelines. If they say it's a law, liberal. If they say, new executive order that is a temporary measure signed, I was like, oh, we got a right winger. It's like, it's great. So, total side story. I love it. I, 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 Charlie, I get the question, are you going to run, right, asking me, are you going to run for a county supervisor? Are you going to run blah, blah, blah? I get it all the time. What I don't get, I, I'm 57. What I don't get at 57 is what you get at 27. Are you going to run for president? That's the question. Um, I, uh... <laughs> I have no plans to run for anything. I'm 27 years old, and I will say this. I sat with a group of senators, and I asked them, I said, do you guys think you're making a difference? And they're like, uh, not really. I said, well, that's where you and I are different. I know we're making a difference. 
I know the work we're doing at Turning Point USA is making a difference. I know the work we're doing at Turning Point Faith is making a difference. I know that the radio stations we're on, and thank you for listening to us on KRLA, 10 to 12 p.m. every night. Um, thank you. Love you guys. Hopefully they give us a better time slot soon. We're working for that. Um, and also on KTIE all the way down in the Inland Empire. Uh, I know we're making a difference through that. And that's the most fulfilling thing for all of us, right? Um, why would you want to go, being a senator or a congressman, you couldn't pay me enough, you couldn't blackmail me into doing that. I mean, just to have to go into that city and just give endless speeches about nothing and full of hot air. I, I believe more than ever that the, the new founding, that fourth founding we've talked about, right, which is that New York Times article in 2051, that's a success working backwards, right? I, that's not going to come from the halls of Congress, let's be honest, right? That's going to come going from church to church, campus to campus, right? Podcast to podcast, talking person to person. That's the consequential yeah. fight of our time. Not some sort of hall of Congress debate over, you know, whether or not we should have, you know, make the Delta smelt a protected, you know, make a museum dedicated to it or whatever they talk about nowadays. That's very good. <laughs> uh, this question is, how do we protect small children from mask and vaccine mandates? First of all, uh, it's probably going to come from the school, so just take them out of school. Can I say something like this? And, so, yeah, go ahead. I have another plug. So we have all these great partnerships of things that I have found that hopefully can bless you, right? If you guys want to use them, use them. This one's free of charge, which is uh, the best learning institution in the country is run by a friend of mine, Dr. Larry Arn. Uh, it's Hillsdale College. They do an amazing job. And... Micah, can we put this URL, URL up too? It's charlieforhillsdale.com, charlieforhillsdale.com. So let me tell you about, it's a little bit different than the question, but um, it's about homeschooling, right? So I love homeschoolers. Thank you guys for homeschooling. But I know a lot of parents can't homeschool, and that's okay. And I want to give you an idea and challenge you and encourage you about something, how everyone can homeschool. And that is doing an hour for liberty every week. Now, I want you to think about doing this. If, if you go to charliefwarhillsdale.com, they literally have 75 of the best courses you could take on everything, from the founding of the country, to the Federalist Papers, to natural rights, to theology, to, you know, Winston Churchill. And I want to encourage those of you that have children, and if your grandparents especially, take some of these courses. It's free of charge. And this one goes directly to a special course that is all about the great American story. And what if you had one hour a week you spent with your kids on Sunday after dinner before they go to their iPads and iPhones where you teach them what you just learned from those Hillsdale online courses. My challenge to you tonight is do that one hour of liberty every single week. You might not be able to homeschool full-time. I get that. There is no excuse to say you can't spend an hour a week with your kids to all of a sudden tell them about the beauty of our country. Where do rights come from? Who is Plato? Who is Aristotle? And you could go as basic or as advanced as you want, and you might say, Charlie, I don't know any of that stuff. After, what the cool thing about these Hillsdale courses, and we've partnered with them, is that you watch the video, it's 30 minutes long, and then you take a quiz afterwards. So there's a retention component to it, right? So you know the most important parts to do it. There's a study guide and all of that. So I'm a big believer in empowering you to, to teach your children and not have the government do it. I have, I have been so frustrated the more I've traveled the last couple months where parents are like, the, my, the teachers are doing all this. I say, well, what are you teaching your kids? Well, I don't teach them anything. I'm like, what? Like, what kind of hypnosis are you under that the state is somehow some sort of authority? They're like, well, I can't homeschool. I said, I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about adding an, kind of an addendum of one hour a week 
And I want to encourage and challenge all of you guys to do that. It will change your family. If you do 52 of those throughout a year, one a week, you'll be so immensely blessed, and your children will all of a sudden be better equipped to go back to the, maybe their bad education and actually know the true facts about what's happening. Good word. Uh, you, you started watching the Hillsdale videos. That's right. And, and you, call, uh, you called me, or maybe we were in oh, contact, I, I, and, you, and, and you said... I, that's where you got all the stuff. Yeah, you said, I found your source. I'm like, yeah, it's keeping it a secret. You know, I, so I, all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, Dr. Larry Arn says, you know, liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. I was like, huh, who said that before? And all of a sudden Dr. Larry Arn said, Aristotle said that politics is the highest form of community because it combines morality and sociability. He's like, huh, who said that one before? That, that actually wasn't Larry Arn, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but anyway, he did say it in one of the videos. But anyway, the point is, like, I was like, I found the source. I, and so it was really kind of fun. And, and, and it, was, it was novel, but the reality is all I did was sit down and do it myself. And you can do it. And it's, that word's great. We love it. Free. All right. Free of charge, uh, yeah. Uh, Charlie, uh, w the question is, what would you tell an individual who refuses to support the Republican or Democratic Party? Uh, the person votes for the Libertarian Party and or Independent. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's just, that's a non-starter, quite honestly. Look, I'm, I'm the biggest Republican Party basher that you could find, right? My program literally day after day is, where are the Republicans? Where are the Republicans? And yet I will still vote for a Republican because using prudence, which is practical judgment, which comes from a Greek word prudentia, is that there's nothing prudent about voting for a party that's not going to win, okay? Um, instead, try to influence that party, try to get better candidate selection. And there is an argument to vote for the lesser of two evils, that you can make a moral argument for that, right? That there is a moral argument to say that kind of a milquetoast Republican that'll be with you for 50% of the issues and maybe vote for judges is better than someone like Bernie Sanders or Kamala Harris, right? And so third-party voting, albeit can be admirable, kind of bragging to your friends about how you're fighting the system or about kind of how principled you are, but I don't think it's very prudent. I don't. Instead, go try to influence the Republican Party in the image you want. That's what I am trying to do, right? Is that Donald Trump knew this too. Donald Trump knew he couldn't run as a third party, that he had to run within the Republican Party, and guess what? He changed the Republican Party. The fact that the Republican Party was changed permanently thanks to President Donald Trump. And, and especially in California, as we're facing the recall and you've got over 50 candidates, uh, people miss the good because they seek the perfect. Yeah, and Christian... Oh. All right. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. I'll, I'll segue into it. Uh, but but we, we miss the good because we seek the perfect. And Christians have a litmus test that, you know, if you don't fit this, this, and this. And I've been telling people, uh, as you came out in support of Larry Elder, I tell people, you know, Donald Trump in 2015 didn't have pastoral support and churches didn't know what to do with him. I mean, he had a playboy lifestyle, pro-choice uh, tr track record, and married three times, twice divorced, and, and the greatest defender of religious liberty yeah. and the defender of Western civilization. So, you know, Larry, if the, the front person gets beat up, and we've got amazing candidates that we brought into the church, and they're good guys, they're not great candidates because they, they don't register in polling, and, and that's, that's where folks are divided. It's, it's interesting, they don't yeah, know how to and, win. And, I mean, Larry's a friend of mine first and foremost, so I tend to support friends when they run for office. And, they always just, and look, this is a really important kind of thing that we have to use more of. The Lord gave us practical judgment, okay? So you just kind of look at how things are, not how you wish them to be. So how they are is that Newsom probably won't survive the yes-no question. So it's either going to be Larry Elder or some sort of weird Democrat YouTuber, right? And like, that's just kind of what the n numbers are. 
You can wish it to be different, or you can use your practical judgment and weighs the costs and benefits to try to impact it more positively. So this next question is, how do we ensure uh, California elections are honest? Um, I'll just tell you on a grassroots level, we have a number of folks in the fellowship who have actually gone and spoken with Mark Lund, um, and, and they have gotten agreement to have Republicans in specific polling places that were questionable, and, but we're looking for volunteers to do that, and there aren't any. And, and you have to be vigilant. You've got to do these things. And, and we also have a Central Committee Republican Party that isn't all that well organized. So it's a grassroots level issue. Um, and I, I, would, I would certainly take your ballot right down there and deliver it. Uh, I, any other way, frightening. And the fact that they're printing them off the computer to do, you know, folks, we just, we gotta do the best we can with this one and push and yeah. Yeah, I, I, I only asked Rob to answer that one because I, I really don't know the California election system being anything other than corrupt and broken, so I don't have much to contribute to that. Be, be poll watchers, be vigilant. If you see voter fraud happen, uh, film it, which just happened in Orange County, and it went totally viral. Um, and so, yeah. You, you use the story about your grandmother that voted Republican uh, her, her whole, whole life, life and, and then she, she died and has been voting Democrat ever since. It's the, same, it's the same with my mother. My mother and father in California, they've always voted Republican. Now they're voting Democrat. That's right. All right, uh, why isn't anyone talking about the filibuster? It's being attacked and could be the single policy keeping America from completely failing? Yeah, we've talked a lot about it. Uh, that's a great question, whoever asked that uh, on our podcast. Uh, the filibuster is kind of a legislative tool. It's more of a nuanced question. I'm happy to get into it if people are interested. But the way it works in the Senate is for major pieces of legislation, uh, it takes 60 votes to move that legislation forward. They currently don't have that unless they got rid of the filibuster. And currently, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin have said they're not willing to get rid of the filibuster. Therefore, bills like H.R. 1 and H.R. 5, which are two of the worst bills that have been proposed, are probably not going to pass this legislative session, praise God. Um, and so, and it kind of goes back to just kind of managing expectations. You better believe it's a positive thing for all of us to take back the House of Representatives for none other reason than to make sure we don't have to wait up at night that H.R. 1 is somehow going to be passed, right? Because that, 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 that is a republic ending piece of legislation. I don't say that lightly. It is, mass, it is mail in, mandatory mail-in voting for any voter that has lived in any area in every state across the country over the last 20 years. It, it, it is, it's a federal takeover of our elections. So. Yeah. And we're not going to let that happen. Um, my son wants to go to college to become a history teacher. Should he do that with everything going on? It's a great question. I, I, Try not to give specific advice to specific questions. I don't know all the pretext of people's lives. You, a lot of you know kind of my stance on college, which is that I think it's largely a waste of time for most people. Uh, it can be a good thing for some people, and also can be a really bad thing, is that uh, we have a social kind of currency expectation for people to go to college, and that if they go to college, somehow there's going to be this, um, kind of be this reward on the other side, and we have seen Quite honestly, the exact opposite, that only 59% of people that go to college graduate, 41% drop out. Um, we have seen massive student loan issues of young people that are borrowing money they don't have to study things that don't matter to find jobs that don't exist. Um, and I say this to every parent that wants to send their child to college, which is be prepared to play Russian roulette with your children's values. That's a Dennis Prager line, um, which it, it's, not, it's not something to joke about. And if you send your child to college, they might not, they might not come back recognizable. If they want to be a history teacher, 
yeah, make sure they go to the right college. I mean, obviously, Hillsdale would be my choice. There's only like, just so you guys know, there's like 10 or 12 schools I would trust um, to teach history correctly. And there, there's a specific way that we have, we're not teaching history. And here's how it works. The way history is taught in most schools is that if it wasn't written in your lifetime, it's not a good idea. So anything that wasn't written in your lifetime, we will read from a negative lens. Whereas the more Straussian way of reading texts, or the classicist way of reading texts, is that you must read it in the time and the context and the conditions of the author's time. And this is biblical, right? So in Genesis 6, it says that Noah was a good man and a righteous man amongst the people of his generation. So it's all of a sudden you're like, wow, why does it say that Noah was a good man amongst the people of his generation? It doesn't say that Noah was a good man. It says that if you compare him to his contemporaries, he's a good man. But maybe if you compare Noah to Joseph, he wasn't that great of a man. The point is that the Bible is telling us in Genesis 6 that the correct way to view history is in the time and the context of how people lived and when they lived. For example, Aristotle has a lot to teach all of you, and they're not learning it in most colleges. Right. Most colleges have completely removed the Greek classics almost, almost altogether. So if they want to be a history teacher, yeah, there's a path, but just be very careful. Um, can I say something provocative? Okay. Anything you so, want. Um, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we've already done the fat general thing, so I could do all sorts of things. That was a good one, yeah, by the you. way. Um, that guy has his own zip code. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, want, um, I want all the parents out there to pray about this if you have high school kids that are going to be college age soon, uh, which is if it's about your ego more than your child's future, then that's not a good reason to send your kids to college. And that, that's the number one, I just was at Turning Point Kids in Tennessee. I said, do you guys want to be in college? All of them, no, our parents forced us. It's like, and sometimes parents know better. And some, but sometimes what if the kind of, what if all of a sudden they want something for a wrong reason? Here's the test. Are you willing to go see your neighbor in the local grocery store and say that, yeah, little Johnny is not at Stanford. He's not at UCLA. He's a plumber. Are you okay with that? Most parents aren't. Most parents wait up night, at night thinking anything but my kid working construction. If my kid works construction, he's a failure. Not that if my kid's a good person, not if my kid loves the Lord, not if my kid has character, but no. He needs a four-year college degree, and I need the Stanford mom bumper sticker on the back of my Range Rover to have some sort of social currency amongst my neighbors. Like, that's kind of screwed up. Yeah. That's, one of the main, that's one of the reasons we're in the, the, the mess that we're in. There's nothing controversial about what you said. Thank you. And ma as a matter of fact, my son is his Swiss Army knife, and he, he doesn't, well, I don't have the bumper sticker of Stanford. Well, I wouldn't have had it and anyway, I can tell you that, you know, Mikey went to uh, Oaks Christian, right? Yeah, Oaks Christian. And we hired him right out of high school, and it was great. It was right after one of our church services about a year and a half ago, right, I want to say? Yeah. And he was driving me down, and I was obviously impressed with him, and I, I love the McCoy family. I was like, oh, so what, what's your plan? I didn't ask where you're going to college. That's how you all need to ask that question. I said, what's your plan? He's like, oh, I'm going to go to college. I said, what are you going to study? Uh, political science. I said, oh, why are you going to do that? He's like, oh, to go find a job in politics. I said, what if I said I offer you a job in politics right now? And he's like, well, I don't know. I've got to talk to my parents. I said, wait. I, and I, I said, uh, you've got a job if you want it. And the McCoy family deserves so much credit because they practice what they preach. They said, Mikey, you can go move to Phoenix, get your own apartment, go work a job. And I'll tell you, some of our best employees are just high school graduates. They are the most eager to learn. They are hungry. They pursue wisdom. So Mikey's kind of body man par excellence travels with us. And every, I can tell you right now, every single person that graduated amongst them in Oaks Christian, 
They are not having the same experiences. He's meeting senators and billionaires and all this um, because their parents were willing to all of a sudden buck the trend, reject the social currency, know that it's just a meaningless piece of paper most times, and all of a sudden be more creative and trust the Lord. It's a great success story. Uh, we'll go a, little, a couple more here. Ten minutes. Yeah, ten minutes. Okay, uh, for the recall election, I believe we can win the battle in 2021, but how can we win a general election in 2022? Yeah, you probably can't, but that's not the point. The point is, are you going to send, first of all, it, it, here's the thing. If Larry Elder wins the governorship, or whomever, right, who's a Republican, I don't want to you know, get people upset. So whoever wins, let's say Newsom gets You can replaced. say Larry, it doesn't bother Yeah, me. okay, good. Yeah. So... I just don't, I don't like telling people in the state I don't live in. My own, I have a really kind of non-imperialist mindset about this, which is I don't tell people in their, in their local community what to do. I just try to trust people that are there. But anyway, Larry's a friend of mine. So first of all, he could pardon David Daleiden, which would be an amazing thing, who's the guy that uh, filmed all the Planned Parenthood tapes is going to go to jail for a decade. It would be a game changer and a death blow to the Kamala Harris attorney general regime. That alone is reason enough to do that, right? Um, which no one's talking about, right, which is a really important thing. But yeah, the, the broader question is, if you, I'm telling you, if you guys win this recall, you have no idea the message that will send nationally. I mean, the only comparison I can give, and it would be bigger than this, is all of you kind of your political historian. Do you remember when Scott Brown won the Senate seat in Massachusetts for Ted Kennedy's when Ted Kennedy, the lion of the Senate, you know, the philanderer murderer who died in uh, 2010, right? Right. Um, anyone can say Chappaquiddick? We can around here. Um, when he died, all of a sudden, it was in the most Democrat state in the country, Republican Scott Brown won that seat, and it shocked the world. Now, Elizabeth Warren ended up beating him, but it, 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 it laid the groundwork for what was the Tea Party revolution, and it laid the groundwork for what Donald Trump eventually picked up and won the presidency with in 2016. So, yeah, 2022 is going to be tough, but that's not, that's not what's in front of us, right? The Lord says, do not worry about tomorrow, right? Has its own care. Worrying about 2022 is the definition of worrying about tomorrow. What's in front of you today is 2021 and the recall on September 14th. It's a big deal. And I could tell you right now that the polling and the data, whew, I'm telling you, Newsom is nervous, guys. I've seen all, I, I've, I've, I've spent a couple hours going through, I, I called every political consultant I knew in California. And the consensus is, it's a coin flip. Like, this guy's on the ropes, and they never thought it. They're, don't be surprised. Kamala Harris is going to be here soon, probably campaigning. I don't think they want to bring Joe Biden in. I, th I think if they bring Joe Biden in, that will make sure that he doesn't get recalled. And, um, but it's also a turnout thing. I don't, Democrats are not going to turn out in record number to go defend a governor they don't like. Every one of you are going to vote. I know that. And um, so, yeah, that, 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 would be a, that, would, that would be a political shockwave, the likes of which that we could not even comprehend. So forget about 2022. Worry about what's in front of you, and then we'll worry about the challenges. Good. I can answer this one. Uh, the, the question is, how do we support the firefighters and the police? And I assume the question is in regards to the uh, first responders event we had here that are trying to do a movement here in the county. Uh, Captain Pelikai from Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, was, we brought him in on a Skype, and he, he's been a firefighter uh, his, his entire life. 
uh, as, as an adult. His father was a firefighter, and he refuses to get the vaccine, and the governor's uh, and the mayor of that area, they're gonna, he's going to get booted. But he's standing strong, and he's suing, and he's fighting back. I said, how are you paying for it? And he said, out of my own pocket. And I said, this church is sending you $5,000. My, as a fellowship, our commitment to the firefighters, a religious liberty issue, the First Amendment issue, the government's authority ends where our skin begins. We're not pro-vax or anti-vax, we're pro-liberty, and that is God's idea, and we're contending and defending for it. Amen. So whatever those firefighters need, we'll give it to them, and, and if you want to earmark it and say, hey, want to do something for the fire, I'll make sure it gets to them. How's that? Uh, any tips that, so we'll do two more? Ten minutes, yeah. Yeah, we got, okay. Uh, any tips for current college students to effectively fight back on their campus without being completely canceled? And will you introduce the... Yes, absolutely. So we have two tables out there that I want all of you, especially if you're younger out there, to check out. I want to have our Turning Point USA students stand up that are here. Come on. If you're involved with Turning Point USA, stand up. Give it up for these freedom fighters. So you guys could, thank you guys so much. So our work every single day is to, we play offense with a sense of urgency to win the American culture war. And these are American heroes. And people say, Charlie, what do I do? I say at the minimum, you need to be as courageous as what, what these students are doing in high school and college. Let me tell you why they're so courageous. They've just made a decision when they get involved with Turning Point USA that they're willing to risk job opportunities, social status, friendships, and any sort of social media favor they might have to go stand for truth and righteousness among, uh, above worldly things. So people say, Charlie, what does that look like? Very simple. Be the same person in public that you are in private. Most people aren't. And that's actually unbiblical. That, you are living a lie if that's the case. If you're okay wearing a Make America Great Again hat to church, but not to the grocery store or to a family dinner, then you're not who you are at all times. Be the same in every environment. And one of the reasons that this regime is succeeding is the plague of self-censorship. Yeah. It's the number one form of censorship in the country. So censorship is a massive problem. But the biggest form of censorship is you shutting up you. Is that you're less likely to speak out in a certain way. Because their tool of mockery and ridicule, sarcasm, it's effective. It works. And what Turning Point USA is doing with these amazing young patriots is they're like, you know what? I am willing to be courageous and bold, even though my parents or grandparents think that I shouldn't do that because they say, you got to go get a good job. You have, you have no idea how many Turning Point USA students email us every single day. They say, my parents think I'm too involved and too political. They say, I just got to get a good job. And what did I say? The country they grew up in is dead. They're thinking of a 1980s America where you go get a nice job at Goldman Sachs and things just get back to normal and things keep on getting better. They know better. And so I tell, tell students, don't ever disobey the commandment to honor your parents. Instead, lead your parents. You know how many parents we have coming to us, they said, Charlie, I was uninvolved in politics before my kids started to get involved with Turning Point USA. I want you to think about this. How many parents out there, you, you customize your time and your preferences to your kids. Your kids might like soccer more than football. They might like track and field more than swimming. And you want to support them in that. And all of a sudden, you have these students that are telling their parents, you know what I care about most? Saving the country. And that inspires and it challenges parents. They're like, man, my 16-year-old wants to do this? What have I been doing? Well, that's a good question. And now you could do something about it. So 
what can be done? I, and I also just want to be, um, you know, and I, uh, Teresa, Maddie, Madison, Michaela, and Jacob. And uh, talk about Jacob. Uh, Michaela's here. She's amazing. But I, I want to talk about Turning Point yes. Faith. And so we have just launched Turning Point Faith. Uh, where Rob is the co-chair, the national co-chair of Turning Point Faith and everything that we are doing, which is going to be a movement to strengthen churches across the country. And Greg Denham and his wonderful church is going to be part about the, of this. To support the courageous pastors, find more of them, and help and support churches to speak boldly out about the moral and cultural issues that are happening in our nation. Because if we're honest with ourselves, it's only going to be the church that saves this country. And what we need, I want you to think about this vision. A thousand God speaks. A thousand churches like this will save the country. And you'd be amazed at how many pastors are coming out of the woodwork. Charlie, I want to do more. Charlie, I want to speak out. We were in Eden, Oklahoma with wonderful Pastor Wade Burlinson last weekend. And he's speaking out wonderfully and courageous. So we have Pastor Steve Smotherman. They are coming out of the woodwork. And they want to stand and they want to proclaim. But I'll tell you what, you know who's been an inspiration for a lot of them? This guy. You have no idea how many pastors nationwide are like, that Rob guy, he puzzles me. He speaks so clearly, and yet his membership grows, and he defies authority. And what, what it shows me is the old Soviet thing. How did the Soviet Union fall? Well, it's an interesting story. Well, well, how, well. how much time do you have? Yeah, right. So the Berlin Wall fell by accident, actually where there was a Soviet guard that had the night shift and an East German in East Berlin really was getting sick and tired of this. And he could tell this kind of guard was a little bit demoralized and he just ran through. And the guard just kind of, kind of just lost his lack of enforcement. And then t f 10 people ran through. And then 100 people ran through. And then 1,000 people ran through. And then 10,000 people ran through. And then 100,000 people ran through. Rob is that first guy through the gate. Rob is the first guy through the gate where all of a sudden thousands of other pastors are like, oh wow, we can do that? I didn't know that. We can open up, no masks, no social distancing. So I want to commend you, Rob. You're doing a wonderful job. You really are. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, a, a really good example of what you were saying about the, the young people leading their parents. Uh, you're, you're speaking there, John Randall. Yeah, and that's uh, tomorrow night. So yeah. if you guys want to get an extra dose of everything we're talking about. It will be different talk, I promise. Uh, Calvary Chapel, San Juan, Capistrano, tomorrow night at 5 p.m. Yeah, but tell them what happened there, can you? Yeah, the, uh, I'll kind of paraphrase it. Um, but yeah, the, the Randalls are amazing people, and their kids kind of was, were aware of me, and they're like, hey, we got to have Charlie come speak at the church. And we did, and man, they just had Erica speak at their women's conference. They are a God-speak-type church, everybody, down in San Juan, Capistrano, just so you know. It's growing, and it's multiplying. We have Greg's church down in Exploding. Uh, Ry Rise San in San Marcos. Marcos. We have Jurgen's church. We, I'm, speaking, I'm doing four services tomorrow. Joe Pettick, yeah, we're James Cadiz. James Cadiz at Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill. We have Joe Pettick at Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Uh, we have Jack Hibbs, obviously, which is kind of the legend of, of all. And it's growing, and that's not an exhaustive list. I know I'm forgetting people. But it really, you, there's hope, everybody. And what we want to do at Turning Point Faith is we don't want to recreate the wheel. We don't want to tell, we're not going to argue eschatology or theology. Here's the big thing. Build a coalition for liberty. Build a coalition of liberty between different parts to try to preserve God's idea because it's on fragile footing right now. And I believe the church has to step up and do more in that regard. That's a good word. Uh, maybe two, okay. yeah, two the, 
yeah, I don't want to end on this one. It's not a fun one. I mean, I'm, I don't want to insult the person who said it, but just it doesn't inspire me. Then let's go to the next one. Uh, well, let's, let's, uh, we got to answer it. Or oh, you want to skip it? Okay, Whatever. skip it. Next one. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. That, that's a good one to end on. That's a good one to end on. Yeah, yeah all right. What is your favorite scripture that gives you strength in the hard times? Um, so yeah, if I could kind of riff a little bit on spiritual warfare, which we are all in a spiritual war, not in a material war, and we all know that. Um, Satan wants nothing more than for you to overemphasize the material and de-emphasize the spiritual. Yep. Um, Satan is a liar. He is a thief. And it says in First Peter, he prowls the earth looking for someone to devour. Satan is also limited. Satan does not have unlimited power. In Matthew 4, one of my favorite scriptures, is right after a high watermark, right? So Jesus Christ gets baptized. It's the best picture of the Trinity in the entire Bible. God the Father um, says, this is my son and I am pleased. The Spirit comes upon Jesus Christ the Son. That's the Trinity kind of in action. And then all of a sudden, Jesus Christ, led by the Spirit, goes into the wilderness. Driven. Driven by the Spirit. Tried three times. Um, first by hunger and earthly needs, and then two others under the principalities and the dominions of the earth. Satan was wrongly quoting scripture back to Jesus, right, trying to get him to misstep and fall. And one of my favorite scriptures in the entire Bible is uh, when Jesus says, and it was kind of a mic drop moment, the Bible says, do not put your Lord, your God to the test. One of my favorite pieces of scripture. Satan hates two books more than any other books of the Bible, uh, more than any. It's Genesis and Revelation. Why? Because Genesis tells his nature, and Revelation tells you how it's going to end. Satan getting thrown into the pit of fire. All of us must realize that as you get into this fight, that you are going to come across doubt, cynicism, all of a sudden guessing yourself. All of you are prone targets for Satan to try to come after you. I don't want to talk too much on this, but I could just riff on a little bit more. Three ways that Satan tries to attack you. Through your environment, through earthly vows, and through certain fleshly sins. Your environment. Who are you hanging around? Are you around people that are filled with the spirit, optimism, that actually want to pursue righteousness, or people that are negative, people that are worrying about earthly and worldly things? You are the combination of the people you spend the most time with. The five people you spend the most time with, that is who you are. Number two, earthly vows. Jesus says very clearly that you do not make vows. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? It's because if you try to make a vow like, I will never drink again, all of a sudden Satan knows exactly what to use against you. What's the proper way to say it? Only thanks to the grace and mercy and power of Jesus Christ, will I never take another drink again. Let Jesus fight the spiritual war for you. And then finally, through flesh, flesh and sins, it says very, and now Paul called Satan, it's, it's, it's theologians are you know, divided on this, the God of this world. Jesus never said that. He said that Satan is the prince of this world, that we are in enemy-occupied territory. And guess what? We have to launch a sabotage campaign against Satan's dominance here in this world. What does that look like? Be in salt and light. And it says in Romans to love what is good and hate what is evil. And so I love all those verses. But my favorite of all of it is in the book of Titus. If I'm not mistaken. Jude. The book of Jude. Where even the archangel Michael himself, when he goes to fight Satan, he doesn't fight it himself. You know what he says? Lord, rebuke you. He even calls on the name of the Lord. And what, I, what that tells me and should tell all of you is that you're not going to fight this battle alone and we're not going to fight this battle alone. We must, through intercessory prayer, prayer and fasting and praying, know the true hierarchy here. The battle's already won everybody. And right now, the manifestation of the material is because of a spiritual sickness. And we must understand that. And that gives me great comfort and peace 
uh, because we have truth and light and righteousness on our side. Do not let Satan trip you up. He tries to wage war on your mind, but your heart and your soul is born new thanks to the grace, mercy, and truth of Jesus Christ. And that gives me great comfort. That's so good. Come on. You, you sent me, uh, you sent me a, a link to a lady who was praying. You said this is a cool prayer. Isn't that cool? And, and I got to tell you, when I started listening to him, I'm like, this is what Charlie's listening to. And it was, I mean, this was a fervent calling on the it's Lord. It was an intercessory prayer. This woman is bringing down heaven. And, and you, you don't step in to the middle of the, the prince of this world's business and shake it up and think you're not gonna get attacked. And, and Charlie takes on political forces, but when you did the altar call at Smotherman's Church, oh, yeah. and he said, I want, you, I want you to call people to Christ. And Charlie presented the gospel similar, I mean, he did such a good job. And, and people that night, there was a move of God's spirit. And I watched him. He came in, you almost fainted. It was, it was so crazy, I've never seen you it was hit a, like that. It was a Spurgeon type moment. It was, there was literally a, uh, two people, one that flicked me off, one person that was, you could say vexing or whatever. Um, and it was, it was overwhelmingly physical, right? Um, because remember, Satan deals in the flesh, right? So you're vulnerable in the flesh in that moment. And it was, it, there was so much spiritual warfare happening at that moment of people finding eternal salvation that Satan was doing everything he possibly could to try to launch a counteroffensive. Uh, it's a very real thing. Understand, higher levels, higher devils, right? Those of you, you think you're going to get into this fight and you can live the same life you lived before? No, it's going to all of a sudden take you living in more alignment with God's commands, living more obedient. It says in the scriptures that you have to wall off the vectors for Satan to attack you. That's why God gave us our rules for life. That's why God gave us the Decalogue. That's why God gave us the fruits of the Spirit. It's not because he hates us, because he wants us to be protected against the enemy and rebellion from his ways. So, That's so good, Charlie. All right, let me close it up. Yeah. Close it up. So, uh, God I, bless you guys. Thank you so much. Please consider subscribing and go to the Turning Point USA table. You guys are the best. I love being here. Thank you so much. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, you go on. Walk him down. You can, go, you can go out the door here, Charlie, if you want. Hey, folks, uh, if I could get your attention while Charlie's heading out, if I could get your attention, tomorrow night, uh, 6 p.m., we have attorney Nicole Pearson coming. A lot of you have legal questions pertaining to your employment and what you're up against and what can you do. Nicole is a pit bull for Jesus. She's an amazing lady. She's so gifted, and she has taken time out to come and be with us. It's tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Uh, be here. You won't regret it. Thank you all for coming tonight. See you at church tomorrow. Go get some rest. God bless you all. Yeah.